Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Pray with me, Lord, open our hearts, open my lips. Thank you that you would choose to use people, each of us and even myself, for your namesake and your kingdom's sake. Thank you that you are the one who builds us into a community of hope. Continue to lead us on, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Hey, I want to just, uh, before I get to this, promote the next sermon series because uh, if you're a volunteer here, you got a book, and it's called Life Together, and if you want to purchase this book, we'll buy more for anybody who you know, isn't a volunteer. We're going to actually do a sermon series on a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote it as a seminary professor. Um, I don't want to take too much of Jim's thunder because I said, Jim, why don't you do a biographical sermon next week on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then we're going to preach through this little book, Life Together. But let me just give you what uh, one of the, you know how they have these things on the back. This guy's Richard Foster. He says, most books can be skimmed quickly. Some deserve careful reading. Precious few should be devoured and digested. So when you see like the book, just like one or two bites left, you'll know we're almost done with the series. Uh, but that's, you know what? It's a, I've been rereading it. I've read it before. I'm reading it again. Um, it may be slow going for some, and that's why we're going to preach through it. But I'll tell you, it, it's been a blessing to reread it for me, and I think you'll enjoy the sermon series. So uh, we have about eight or nine copies available to purchase. If you'd like to, um, yeah, you can buy it online or you know do it on Amazon. So today I want to. I'm doing a two two week no two time series in Peter because. Peter was, um, remember, remember how Peter ended his kind of ministry in the Gospel of John and, and in the uh, Synoptic Gospels? Do you remember how he's like, Jesus, um, I would never, ever deny you, right? And um, do you remember where uh, Jesus is telling him, no, 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 don't, don't, no, you're not. And he's all like discouraged and he's a failure. And what does he do? He goes back fishing, and then the resurrected Christ appears to him. Remember this story? And he's like, hey, throw your nets in. And anybody who's reading the Gospels go, wait, I remember when he called Peter. What did he tell him to do? Throw his nets in. And they get this big haul of fish, and then Peter goes, that's our Lord. And he, he, he dives in, comes out. It's like, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And what does is, what is, um, Jesus do? He says, uh, he reinstates him. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And, and I think this is the first letter that we get from the shepherd. And I thought, what a way to kind of start the year by looking at some of the words of the shepherd to the people. Now, I did one sermon on it just a few days ago. What was that, Friday. And so I'm doing another sermon, so if you, if you missed that one, feel free to listen to that one online or watch it online. Um, and then this kind of takes off on that one. And what I noticed is that there is three sections that actually mention 
one, one of the same kind of words. It's more than three times, but, but three sections have this one word in it. And I'm thinking, man, out of five chapters that kind of hit this in three of the chapters, this word, this concept has to be important. So what is the concept, right? If it's so important to mention it three times, what is the concept? Well, the word is epithumeo. There it is. Can you guys say epithumeo? Right? Epithumeo. You're like, yeah, what, what the heck does that mean? You know what it means? Sometimes it's translated evil desires. Sometimes it's translated lust. I like the translation over desires, super desires, right? This, he mentions these evil desires, over desires, super desires, um, a handful of times throughout his book. So it must be like a really important concept. Now, the trouble is, is this word, you want to go, oh, when you hear the word like evil desires or lust, you go, all bad, right? But guess what? It's not all bad. Check this out. Here's a section in First Peter. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied the grace that would come and made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the suffering of Christ and the glories to follow, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but, they, but you in the things that which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here you go. Things into which the angels lusted? Evil desires? No. They translate it longed. So the angels longed epi through, like this super over desire. They longed to see something that they didn't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, background Bible commentary says, according to some Jewish traditions, some secrets were so important that God kept them even from the angels until the end times. I think it's true. Because God says the church like revealed the mysteries even to the angels. Right? And I think there were these evil powers that Jesus says, God says, I've got a way that I am going to save my people. I am going to rescue my people. I'm going to deliver my people, and I'm not sharing it with the angels. I'm not sharing it with the heavenly host. I'm going to keep it a secret till it happens. And what is the secret? Jesus defeated death by death. I mean, if you were going about to defeat death, wouldn't you come in with like an army or something? But no, he did it in weakness. And this is truly mind-boggling, right? I mean, it just doesn't make sense, does it? That he defeated death by death. And this is what the angels long to look into, how, how Jesus comes, he enters into, into humanity, he defeats death through weakness, and then is raised in power. It's this beautiful picture. And you know what? I was reading the, these, these articles. Uh, one was Thoughts on Omicron. I think you've heard Omicron virus, right? Um, is it a blessing or a curse? And then there was this other one that said, um, COVID silver lining, extremely mild Omicron variant is rapidly killing off much more deadly Delta coronavirus mutation. Now, somebody commented that I respect and goes, it's not killing it. Either way, people write newspaper headings to make people um, 
make people read it, right? Not for truth. But the point that they were both making is that this weaker virus might actually lessen the effects of the stronger virus. And all of a sudden, the cross came to my mind. And I put this up there kind of subtly, like what if the thing that brought death becomes the thing that saves lives? Now, frankly, I wanted everybody who read, read that to see the cross, not the virus, because isn't that what the cross is? Now, I don't know if that's what's going to happen. I hope it's what happens. But this is the point of the cross, and this is what the angels didn't get, but they, they super over-desired to see this, this gospel truth. And, and he, he then goes on and says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to your former... Here's the word again. Epitherizomai. He's like over-desires which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourself in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So he begins and he says, like there's a shape, right? As obedient children, when you say conform, I almost see like a potter with clay, right? Like there's a way of living that is going to take you away from the God way of living. There's a, there are desires within me that will shape my life in a way that doesn't look like Jesus. And I started thinking about all the things that kind of pull us away. One guy who was writing on idolatry said, what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. What people revere they resemble, even, either for ruin or restoration. And when my daughter was like in junior high or high school, she was watching like these old movies. And one time she goes, Dad, I watched this movie, and you know what? He kind of reminded me of you. I'm not going to tell you who it was or anything. It's be very, very embarrassing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, when I was a kid, I just wanted to be like him. You know what I mean? I wanted to, and, and I was like, oh, gosh, you know, life imitates art, Right? And, I mean, the, the point is, is that many times the things we revere, we start resembling. Superheroes, right? Cosplay, right? Come on, you know. Like, and, and somebody who, like, wants to be in love and they just give themselves for that. They seek it. Their, their heart is just going for that. I think Peter would say, watch out. Guard the affections of your heart, for out of it flows the wellspring of life. Even parenting, which is a good thing, if you start defining yourself by how well you parent, if you start getting your strokes by how well you parent, all of a sudden, your good thing becomes a God thing, right? Success is a good thing, isn't it? Working hard is a good thing, but if you let success define you, what happens when you're not successful anymore? What happens to you internally? Right? And then we could get into all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's nothing wrong with bodybuilding or having muscles that pop up in new places, right? Small heads, big necks, you know. But, but what we love shapes us, doesn't it? it? It defines us. The things we say, oh, if only I get this thing, I'll be happy. And I think Peter would say, wait a minute. Those over-desires will turn you away, will shape you, not into looking as Jesus wants you to look, but into a whole different direction. And, and I think he would say, you're not made for that. 
right? Because if you or I give ourselves to that kind of thing and it gets taken away, what happens to you? It rips your heart out. You, you wish you were dead. I mean, it, 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 and he's like, you're not made for that kind of living. It, 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 it rips you apart. And then he says, well, okay, instead of revering the world, be holy. And I always, I always struggle with this because holy ne- is nebulous, right? I mean, when you think of holy, what comes to your mind? Do you get like the clouds breaking through or this untouchable God? Even the holy of holies, that the priest could only go in there once a year on the Yom Kippur for the Day of Atonement. There was really nothing there, right? You had like the ark, but it was closed. And you had this, this um, the, the mercy seat, but there was nothing on the mercy seat. And then you'd go and you'd take blood and you'd spread it all over there. Like, what does it mean for us to be holy? What are we supposed to revere if we are to be holy? I like what Tim Keller said. He said, religion says, earn your life. Secular society says, create your life. And Jesus says, my life for your life. I think that's holiness. I think you want brass tacks of holiness? My life for yours. My life for yours. There's nothing in the mercy seat because it's my life for yours. And when we start thinking about holiness and the beauty of the holiness, we see Jesus saying, my life for yours. And when we find that the most attractive, the most desirable, the most beautiful, then our lives start getting shaped by that. And Peter's like, don't go that other way. What is the other way? Your life for mine, right? Your life for mine. Right? I think one author said, people either become vehicles or obstacles when you live your life for mine, right? You, 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 they're a vehicle. You help me get where I want to go, then I'm okay with you, right? Or if you're in my way, you're an obstacle. I have to move you out of my way. But Jesus says, no, my life for yours. You're not a vehicle or an obstacle. I I give my life for everyone. That's holiness. There's something beautiful about that. And and 2 Corinthians would say that as we look at this, you and I become shaped like that. What if my daughter watched a real depiction of Jesus and when I was young, I fell in love with being like Jesus. She's like, Dad, I watched the Jesus movie and, and, and you reminded me of him or he reminded me of you, right? Instead of John Travolta. Okay, um, <laughs> and so, uh, oh, I'm embarrassed that I even said that. <clears throat> and when beholding the glory of the Lord... We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Like we look at what we think is beautiful and we're shaped by that. Jesus, you said your life for mine. May we, as the church, look that way too. Well, well, the second time he mentions this word, this this passion, I need to start here because it's kind of a contrast going on. Peter says here that you, that's us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. 
I like how the Bible is yelling at us in text. So that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's, uh, it's interesting. He goes, you're a chosen race. Now, why would he say that? Why a chosen race? Well, who, who were the priests in Israel? Levites. Levites. Were they a race? Yeah. He's like, you guys, the only people of that tribe were priests. They didn't have land. They were the priestly tribe. He's like, you're born into, in a sense, the Levites, right? And you're a royal priesthood. What do priests do? Well, they offer sacrifices. But, you know, I think the basic understanding of priests is they mediated between God and man. Right? And, and even uh, the Apostle Paul would say, you guys are ambassadors for Christ. Like, you're the mediator, right? If Jesus lives in your heart, where are people going to meet Jesus? Through me and through you, right? We're, 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 we're mediators. And, and what else do we do as this royal priesthood? What, what does Jesus do? What did Moses do for the people? We pray. We bring other people to God and we lift them up in, in, in prayer. We, we help carry the burdens. And what else do we do? Priests blessed. They blessed. And, and Peter would be saying, I, I've got this new identity, this new occupation for you that, that your royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen race, that it's like you are going to be God's people out in the world. And then he says, but I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Hey, in the world, if you don't live as an alien and a stranger, you're not going to be looking like a royal priesthood. You're not going to be looking like the ambassadors for Christ. You're not going to be about that business. He says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. I love that good deeds. I'll get more to it in a minute. But I watched this thing on BBC, and it was all about Coptic Christians in Egypt who have this like whole city, and it's like the garbage city. And the Christians, because of their kind of forced position to the lower levels, ended up taking care of the garbage. And they built this whole city there. And frankly, they do a really good job of like cleaning up the garbage and recycling and all these different businesses. But I was just thinking about, wow, way back when, they were the city cleaners, the good deeds that they performed. Well, when I looked at this, I thought, wait a minute, aliens and strangers? Aliens and strangers. I remember when one guy wrote a song, he said, I'm only visiting this planet. The, the reality is, is all through Scripture, you see people who are aliens and strangers. What happened to Adam and Eve? What, what happened to them when they got kicked out of the garden? Do you remember? They were 
exiled. They were aliens and strangers in this new land. They used to be in this garden. Now they're aliens and strangers. And, and then what happened with Joseph? He gets sold as a slave. Now he's an alien and a stranger in Egypt. And then when there's a famine, his whole family comes in. And what are they in Egypt? They're aliens. They're strangers in Egypt. Like the Bible is full of aliens and strangers. And then, you know, uh, Israel goes sour and they end up being exiled to Babylon. And what are they there? Aliens and strangers. And even when Jesus, even during the time of Christ, they were still under Roman rule. So although they were home, in a sense, they were still somewhat exiled in their land. And God calls us aliens and strangers. Why? Because how did Jesus come to this earth? Right? Remember that song, Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, our debt to pay from the cross to the sky. See, he went back, right? But here he lived as an alien and a stranger. And now we've been born into this new family, this new kingdom. And you and I were aliens and strangers. And he's like, there's something inside of you that's going to want to not live like an alien and a stranger. There's something inside of you that's going to want to like to say, no, I'm, I just want to seat myself here. I want to live as if this world is the only place. I don't like, like there's something inside of us. They call it the flesh. They call it the evil desires that, that wars against our new nature. And this is the reality of the Christian life. If we're not putting to death the thing that says, oh, no, make your home here on earth. Live just for yourselves. Don't live as an alien or a stranger. We're, we're, we're going to move in a direction that will actually, like, kill our souls. He's like, beloved, I urge you as alien and, and strangers, abstain from that sinful desires that wage war against your souls. And then he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of his visitation. When you're living the your, my life for yours, your deeds are just going to flow. Like you probably won't have to think about it. Like things are going to come out of you that are going to be different than other people. Uh, it, it's interesting we give out that mug that says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. That was written to Israel when they were in exile. Jeremiah 29, 7, God says, hey, here you are, you're in another country, you're an alien, you're a stranger, I want you to seek the welfare of the city that I've sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare, for in its welfare, you have welfare. So here these guys are aliens and strangers, and what are they supposed to do? Good deeds. They're supposed to intercede for the city. When was the last time you prayed for your city or your country or the, your neighbors or the people around you? God, I pray that you would bless Broadview Heights, Lakewood, like wherever you live. Lord, I pray that you would use me to be a blessing here in this community, 
right? So others see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. I started thinking about this. I was talking to somebody a while ago uh, about work. And they said something like, you know, I don't need to work or what, you know, it was kind of a funny thing. And, and I said, you know, if you work, you'll be able to share. Like, here's the funny thing. So many times when we think of work, we think, oh, I work so I can eat. I work so I can take care of my family. I work so I can... But when was the time you read this verse and thought this way? Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that they may have something to share. What? My life for yours. I mean, when was, the, when was the last time you thought, well, oh, I work so I can pass it on to others. I work so I can be a blessing. Don't steal, share. Don't steal work so you can share. Like that, is a, that is a revolutionary mindset even for us in America, isn't it? I work so I can share with others. I was uh, listening to a podcast, and about 10 years ago, this guy tells this true story that happened to him. He goes, I had three breakdowns in one year. He's like, I, well, I ran out of gas. He goes, I got a flat tire, and I can't remember his third one. And he said, I sat on the road during one of those breakdowns for four hours because I didn't have the, the right components in my jack. And he goes, I sat there, and I waited, and I tried to, like, flag people down who might be able to help me. And he said, all the times I broke down, you want to know who helped me? Immigrants. Immigrants stopped. And he said, the one immigrant stops, and um, I tell him, I, I don't have a jack, and he doesn't speak English, but the young daughter does. So the young daughter translates, and he goes, well, I have a jack, but it's too small, no worries. And he pulls a saw out, and he finds a log, and he cuts a piece of the log, and he puts the jack uh, like un on top of that, and he jacks up the car. And he gives his lug wrench, which is made for smaller cars, to this guy for his bigger car, and the guy breaks his lug wrench. And he's like, ah, oh, very strong. So he says to his wife, listen, drive into town, Go buy a better lug wrench for the strong American, right? And, and so she comes back with a new lug wrench. They get the, the tire off. They put a new tire on, and, and uh, he's done. And Oh, and then their hands are all dirty, and she pour, the wife gets this jug of water and pours it on their hands. And I guess they were, like, they were there picking fruit, but they would go back to Mexico. Um, and he says, let me pay you. And they're like, no, no, no. But he finally gives it to the wife. You know, he like push, pushes it off on her. And, and um, the little girl says to him before they leave, do you want a tamale? And he goes, yeah, I'm really hungry. So he gives him a tamale. And as he opens it, his money's in there. <laughs> and uh, he pulls up next to the car. And they both roll down their window. He's like, hey, you got to take the money. And the, the guy in broken English says to him, the, the Mexican guy, he goes, today you, tomorrow me. Today you, tomorrow me. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And this little saying hasn't changed the world, but I think there's been five little YouTube kind of movies made about it and all kinds of stuff because our deeds preach, don't they? Right? Our deeds preach. And when we live my life for yours... It preaches. It preaches. Well, I want to end with one other thing, because I, at this time of year, 
I tend to do a review. Do you look back and go, how was 2021, right? Billy, this morning, did we ride our bikes in 2021, right? The, the, my sermon is still dated 2021. Um, doesn't it take you a while till I get it over? It, it, okay, so, um, so, you know, 2021 in review. And, and honestly, when I look back, Sometimes I can be like, oh, look at all the great stuff, right? And then, oh, look at all the failures, right? Are you like, which, which preaches louder, your failures or your successes? Yeah, or, I, I don't know. My, I tend to remember my failures more. It's just the way it is, right? Somebody gives you 17 compliments and one criticism. What are you remembering? Yeah, for some reason, that's how we're wired, right? And, and so what do you do with the failures of 2021? I think we do what Peter did. This is something really beautiful that I discovered a couple years ago as I was reading through this. So Peter, in, his, uh, in, in chapter 5, he says to everybody, hey, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's quoting the Old Testament, and he's telling the people, hey, be humble. Leaders, be humble. Young men, be humble. Why would Peter find humility so important to talk about? Anybody want to guess? Lord, I'll never fall away. Right? Jesus, you may be the Son of God, You can turn water to wine, still the storms, but when you tell me I'm going to fall away, I know better than you, right? Like, you walk on water, but I know better than you. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And, you know, Peter, what was he experiencing here? The beauty of Peter is his failure is what he teaches out of. His failure preaches. Look at this. He says to them, be alert, sober mind. Your enemy prowls, uh, I'm sorry, your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. What is Peter doing? He's like, listen, I failed. It has become a really important thing, a teaching moment for me in my, in my life. Jesus says, I've prayed for you that you would not, should not fail. And when you return, sorry, that your faith may not fail. And when you return, strengthen your brothers. It's so beautiful. Your failures and my failures plunged into the grace of God. They come up as beautiful teaching moments. And then Peter says, look, the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. What comes to your mind when you read this? Here's Peter. I'm going fishing. I'm a failure. He suffered a little while. And then does he go to Jesus? No. Jesus goes and finds him. That's how I began the message. He, there he is by the sea. Jesus goes and, and, and finds him and, and brings him back in and then reaffirms his call. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And the same thing with us. God turns our failure. He, he takes our ashes and he makes something beautiful. Whatever, whatever you have in last year, you can look back and say, Lord, It's become something that you can use to help others.
It's become something that I've learned from, that I can get up and I can hold your hand and I can walk on. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that whatever, as Gretchen read, is in the past is in the past. And now we press on to know you more, to be used by you. Lord, help us to find you more beautiful, more attractive, so that you shape our lives to be lived as our lives for others. That true living sacrifice. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.